Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, listen, um, I want to read a scripture, Psalm 40, verses 9 through 10. It says, I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. Some translations say, and salvation. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. And, you know, this morning as we come together as the church, a lot of times the question we have to ask is, what are, why are we coming together? What, what is the purpose of coming together? And, you know, the Word of God actually gives that answer in 1 Corinthians 4.26. Paul says that when you come together, it needs to be done, all things need to be done for building up the body. And he gives a lot of different ways in which that should be done. Singing, uh, sharing with the word, but also in declaring what God has done in our lives. So this morning, we're go- this morning and next week, we are taking some time to allow some of, the, of our members within the, the congregation to share what God has done in their lives through the gospel, a transformed life. And this is one of the most powerful tools that we have as individuals as we are making, growing, and unleashing gospel centers. Disciples is is by saying, look, look what God has done. Look what God is doing in my life through believing in giving my life to Jesus. So Tim is going to come here in just a minute after I pray, and he's going to share his testimony. So let's pray. Father, you are good. And you are merciful and you are gracious. And you have shown that to us time and time again, specifically by calling us to yourself and opening our eyes to our need for a Savior, Jesus. And Lord, as we have already sung this morning, there is no one that can save but you. And so this morning, as Tim comes to share his testimony, to give testimony of what you have done in his life and what you are continuing to do in his life. Lord, I pray first and foremost that you would fill him with your spirit and that you would free him up. Lord, I know that his desire is to glorify Jesus this morning. He wants us to see the risen Savior and how how the risen Savior has impacted his life and how he can impact ours. So I pray that you would give him clarity of mind and the ability to share these things. Also, I pray for us as we are listening, whether we're believers or whether we're uh, not believers, we ask that you would once again show us Jesus through what is done this morning. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I'm excited. I was talking to the wifey this past week, how excited I am to just share about the things that God has accomplished in my life and done in my life. And um, man, what a blessing. What a blessing to be able to talk about the Lord and, and his patience in our lives. You know, so um, what I want to do before we start, um, I want you guys to to go ahead and make up your mind. Man, I'm going to get something from this. 
parts of my story you guys can resonate with. For some of you guys, you can't. Um, however, I've been trusting and believing God that everyone will be able to benefit from it. Whether you're a believer, whether you've yet to come into a relationship with Christ, um, whether you're um, still exploring this thing out, what it means to be a Christ follower, um, I've trusted and believed God that somebody's going to get touched today, including myself. You know, um, It was 2004, I was in South Africa, and I was in Cape Town. And one of the villages in the shanty towns in Cape Town, um, one of the, the traditions that they have is that they sit down, people get in a circle, and they tell stories. Um, so that's what I want to envision today. We sit down, and we're going to tell a story. Stories resonate with me because I, I like stories. I like movies. You can ask my wife. I mean, my family like movies. We like music. Uh, and the reason I like those two things is because they, they carry a story. Um, some parts of the movie you don't really like. That may be you. It's all good, though. Um, some parts of the movie... Um, it, create some suspense, and that's good. Some parts of the movie will be some humor. Um, some parts are going to be a time of reflection to really ask yourself, man, what would I do in that situation? Or what will I do now that I'm in that situation right now? Um, so let me tell you a story this morning. 1981, Greenville, North Carolina, down on the East Coast. Um, a little black boy was born. Um, to keep it real with you, I don't know how big he was. Um, but he was born in Greenville Pitt Memorial Hospital. Um, I later found out when I got older that my dad, um, the one who I never met, he walked by my mom in the hospital, and but he left. And, you know, um, had never never had a chance to shake that guy's hand, to look into his eye, ask him questions. Um, but my mom, from that point on, um, she would raise me along with my three older siblings, my sisters. And she would raise us all up. And down the road, we had two more little siblings coming along. So it was six of us raised in Greenville, North Carolina. Uh, grandma lived in Bethel, North Carolina, about 20 minutes up the road from there. My grandmother and my mother shared the responsibility of both raising me, a uh, young man, young boy, along with five other kids in a single-parent home. As you can imagine, some of you guys have been there. Uh, some of you guys have the privilege of having both of your parents at the house. Um, as you imagine, it was difficult at times, but my mom did a great job. And she taught us right from wrong. My grandma did a great job, raised us in the old Baptist church with the, the baptismal outside of the church on the side with a little wood board covering it up. And we would have the, the hymnal songs on the right side over here, the three hymnals, the offering and all that. You, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. And I was raised in this old Baptist church, and, and um, I thought that that was a normal part of everyone's life. Um, but later in the years to follow, I realized that it wasn't. Um, I was thankful for that upbringing. My mom taught me right from wrong, you know. Went to school, did well, A's, B, principal list, you know. Got those little red ribbons. Had a couple write-ups here, there. Um, but had a good life growing up, you know. And um, as I got older, around 13 years old, 12, 13 years old, um, I really found how that lack of that father figure in my life will eventually play out. Um, I started wondering what it meant um, to be a cool boy or big boy or one day eventually a man and I started trying to push the limits you know I started rebelling against my mom a little bit against my grandmother uh, my mom kicked me out of the house grandma took me in um, literally almost burned her house down with the flint from Cub Scouts um, but it was good and I remember playing baseball baseball was my first sport Addo, and I enjoyed it third base pitchers and played baseball for a long time all the way up until junior babe Ruth 
Um, when I get hit that seventh grade, I really start dipping and dabbing in. I wanted to try. I want to experiment. Some of you guys know what it is. Uh, I want to see how it is to do that right there. So I started drinking a little bit. You know, started with wine coolers. Anybody here remember wine coolers? Have them at the cookout, wine coolers, right? Little watered-down version of that Bud Light, Budweiser thing, right? So unfortunately, that created a craving inside of me, you know? Um, at that time, my uncle would give it to me. It's a fun thing. They would laugh and everything. Um, later down the road, it will come up to, to bite me a little bit, you know, actually a lot. And then from there, I wanted to try a little bit more. So try a little smoking them things, you know what I mean? Them, them blunts, whatever. We got little kids going, right? Oh, okay, we good. All right, so I decided to smoke a little bit of blunts and um, took me on a road that I, man, I regret today. It took me down a road that would cause a lot of pain within my family, a lot of um, chaos within myself and got involved with the drugs and the alcohol. And then I thought I was better than my mom or bigger than my mom because I was actually taller than my mom. And you guys already know the story. My mom said, no matter how big you are, I brought you into this world, I will take you out this thing, right? Uh, so my mom, <laughs> in the right JC, she told me. <laughs> so she had to try to control me, try to rein me in a little bit. Um, by this time, I was around 14 years old, 13 and 14, going to ninth grade, whatever that age is. It's a minute ago. And high school, I decided I want to start skipping school. You know, remember, I was the guy that brought up in church, taught right from wrong, um, had a good structure, a good family upbringing. But I started to get involved with the wrong people, and I started um, skipping school. Um, and all these things started off real small. And when I started skipping school, by the time I was in 10th grade, I decided to drop out of high school. Uh, by that time, I was drinking every day, smoking every day. And, you know, one of the things as I was praying about sharing this, you know, like, that's all I'm going to share about my past. And the reason that is because I got so much to talk about what God has done in my life since then. You know, uh, some of that, you guys can relate to it. Some of you guys may be there right now getting involved with those things. Um, I didn't become promiscuous until after I became a Christian, you know, and we'll talk about that. But dropped out of high school more time at home by myself. My mom was working two jobs. So often in the morning when I would leave for school, she would be gone. And when I got home from school, she would be gone on her second job, you know. And um, so more time on the streets. I ran with some guys and um, we lived in the trailer park at this time. And the trailer park, it was just a lot of nonsense going on there. Nothing wrong with a trailer park, but in my trailer park, I got involved with that nonsense. And started um, when I dropped out of school, um, I developed a love for money. I thought that what made me important was money. And I tried working at Burger King and McDonald's. That worked out about two months each. Um, and I, I was approached with drugs and selling drugs. And I, was, and I, took to, I, I had developed that love for money so much that I wanted it faster. And for me, uh, that equated to taking it from people. All right? Um, so it went from the stealing, the disobedience, to skipping school, to the dropping out of school, and to the doing the drugs and all that stuff. And now I'm at a point where I'm taking money from people with guns and everything. 17 years old is fast forward a little bit for me. Fast forward, 17 years old, got arrested. My life would never be the same again. Uh, first time I got arrested, went to the county jail, um, had a little New Testament, the little New Testament book. And um, I, I thought if I read through it, that it would change my life. I would try to approach it like it was a school book. And I read through it, but it was nothing um, getting my heart. You know, so I got out of the county jail, went back doing the same thing within a couple of weeks. And I still continued that lifestyle for a while up until um, 
I think I was 16 years old when I first got arrested. But at 17, uh, I kept on doing the same thing until I got um, arrested with a, a robbery charge. Uh, me and one of my, well, me and two of my fellas, we decided that we want to go outside and we want to go um, approach someone with a gun and tell them to give them the money. Unfortunately, the person that we approached was a policeman. And he was home. Uh, he was he was in Greenville visiting um, vacation with his family. You know, you know, um, I'm going to pause and say this right now. Sometimes when we make bad decisions, we don't realize that it not only affects us, it affects other people, the people that you do it to, but it also affects the people who care about you. Um, as you can imagine, my mom, um, that hurt her heart bad. As you imagine, my, it hurt my grandmother bad um, because they didn't raise me that way. You know, they didn't raise me that way, but I was acting crazy out there. Some of you guys are the same way. Your mom and dad didn't raise you, but you still went out there and did some things you know you weren't supposed to be doing. 17 years old, life changed. I remember being in the courtroom, and when the, um, when the judge and I was there, I, was, I came from the county jail. My mom and I think my grandma was out in the, the audience, and the judge hit the thing down, and he says, boom, this is how much time you're going to get. All right, it's facing 14 years in prison at 17 years old. I looked out in the audience, and I saw my mom, Jay, and my mom had a tear coming from her eye. And it hurt me bad. That was the first time I seen my mother cry, and it was because of something that I had done, because of my selfishness, uh, because of my decisions, but more particular, because of my sin. Uh, my sin had not only, not only altered the direction of my life, but also my sin impacted my mom. It would later impact my two brothers who were younger than me, who I never had a chance to see go through high school because I was in prison. Um, it would affect my sisters who had my nieces and nephews. I, I didn't get a chance to see them be born because I was in prison. Um, never had a chance to walk across that stage and get my high school diploma. I never had that chance before in my life. Never had a chance to see my mom say, that's my boy right there. Never had a chance to do that in my life, you know? Never had a chance to play sports in high school. Why? Because of the sin that was in my life. In prison, um, I'm so glad that God... Um, that I can't outrun God, that we can't outrun God, no matter how much we try to pursue, no matter how fast we try to scoot up the road. You know, God's a big God, man. And it was ironic that behind bars that I found my freedom, Claude. It was behind bars that I found my freedom. Behind bars that I found my freedom. Cat by the name of Larry Person, big swole dude, had a little plaques in his head, rubber bands, you know, got the glasses on his eyes. He came up to me one day in prison, and at this time I was 18 years old, and he was like, yo, like, Tim, like, okay, you're here. You can't do anything about it. Don't be making excuses that they put you there. It was their fault. He says, what do you know about the father's love? And I'm like, father's love? First of all, Cat, I don't even know my daddy, so I don't know who you're talking about. He told me about the father's love, you know? Uh, Romans... Five, and I think it's verse eight. You guys are going to see it come up on the screen. It said, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was shared for me when I was behind bars. So you tell me there's a God who loves me regardless of my record. You tell me there's a God who loves me despite of all the bad decisions that I had made. Besides, you mean a God who loves me regardless of how many times I had hurt my mom and I had abandoned my family? And he said, yeah, I wanted that. Little did I know that I had wanted that all those years before when I was searching all those different things, but I just didn't know what it was that I wanted. I'm so thankful that God showed his love that while I, while, while I was a sinner, that he showed, he showed himself strong and reminded me that he loved me. Um, that changed my life, man. From 17 until I was 20 years old, I was behind bars. 
Um, when I accepted Christ into my heart in 2000, um, year 2000, some of you cast one. Ado, you was born in 2000? Not really. Okay. In 2000, man, that marked the beginning of my life that it, it changed forever. Not that it made it easier, you know, but it changed forever. Um, I got into God's word and, and I realized, man, this is who God says I am. This is what I can become in Christ. This is how God wants me to live my life, you know, and it changed my life. Within that little cell, in those bars, and I would look out the window and year in and year out, I'll see the leaves fade, leaves will fall off the, the trees, the blooms will come out in spring, full bloom in summer, leaves starting to fall off again in the fall and it'd be bare in the winter. And I would look out my, my cell and just like those things were changing on the outside, I noticed that my heart was changing too on the inside. Um, that same boy that had pride in his heart, the same kid and the same teenager that had a rebellious spirit about him, God started changing my heart. Um, that same guy that was very angry, didn't know where that anger came from, um, God started changing my heart. And I noticed it because my life started changing. You know, one of the indicators when we know Christ, when we accept Christ into our heart, is that our life begins to change. When there's a different root in our life, different fruit comes out. And God began to change my heart, man. And I did not know that being in prison, that God was preparing me for what I would be doing today. Um, he would teach me how to communicate with guys that were different gang members, guys that looked a little bit different, different shades of skin. And I would talk to those guys. And, and, it, it, and it humbled me. Because when you're in prison, um, everybody wear the same thing. So you like who has the best shoes. And like who has the best car, you might got a little bit more money in your canteen, you know what I mean, for honey buns and everything like that. <laughs> but, you know, like in prison, all those things that I hid behind, the Timberlands, the FUBU, the Rockaway, the Levi jeans, those Nikes, those Jays, all those things that I hid behind, now they were gone. In other words, I was naked. I couldn't hide anymore. And that's when Christ changed my heart, man. Got out in 2002, March 25th. I called it Christmas in March. Got out of prison. My aunt picked me up. First meal I had, Pastor James, was some Pizza Hut. Can you imagine that, baby? Pizza Hut. And I had some sweet tea. And I was hungry. 66 miles outside of Greenville. I think we were coming through Wilson, maybe a little bit further than Wilson, maybe the Raleigh area. We drove through, and I saw a green sign, and it said, Greenville, 66 miles. My heart started pounding fast. I was in the backseat of my aunt's car. I'm out of prison now, but my heart started pounding fast. I started sweating. I was nervous. Why was I nervous? I was out of prison. I had just done almost three years in prison. Why was I nervous? Because then the true test would begin. You know, you hear stories about cats coming to Christ in prison, and then they go back. Um, recidivism rates are very high. Uh, but I realized that, man, now I'm going to be back up here Back out here in the streets with the crew I used to run with, I'm gonna be back in that same neighborhood. All those things are gonna be at my my at my hands now. And then I had to make that decision. My aunt reached back and she put her hand on my, my leg in the back seat. She said, Sam, you're gonna be all right. Got home within two weeks, getting home, um, saw two guys I was locked up with in prison. And of course, everybody wanna come see you when you're in prison. Nobody wanna come see your family when you locked down though. Nobody want to send. Nobody want to accept your phone calls. Nobody want to send you pictures. Nobody want to visit you. 
Uh, but when I got home, all those people started coming back around. Within two weeks, I realized that even though I accepted Christ, it doesn't mean that the world had changed around me. Some of us, we believe because we decide to live for Christ, that it's going to change my neighbors, going to change my family, going to change that boyfriend or girlfriend I may be dating who's not a believer. Uh, some, sometimes we think when we become Christians that that changes the world around us. The change happens on the inside. And I had to be reminded of that. That small touch from my Aunt Connie, it reminded me, yo, like Tim, your change has been on the inside. One of the first things I did when I got home, I relocated. My man, it's Pastor Logan, man. He had a chance, JC, man. He invited me into a transition home uh, where I would be there with another guy who I got locked up with. We were in together. And we got out of prison and provided some structure. I needed structure in my life. And for two years, I stayed in that transition home. And one of the first things he said, he's like, yo, you ain't allowed to date nobody. I'm like, dude, the brother been down for like three years. You're going to tell me I ain't got to date nobody, right? That's tripping, right? All right. And then he says, you're not allowed to have a cell phone. I'm like, I can't even have a cell phone, man. And then he was like, yo, you can't get a car. And I'm like, yo, like, how am I going to get around? He was like, yo, there's plenty of bikes around. Matter of fact, we'll volunteer one for you. And I'm like, what is up with all these rules? And he was like, you need to learn how to be an authority. He says, you need to learn how to be around structure. Man, he placed me around some men, some strong men. I tell you about my man, Mr. Outen, Mr. A. We're going out to dinner with him. What, February 7th, I think it is? We're going out to dinner with him and his wife, uh, Miss Dina. And Mr. Outen would come over there each week, Kevin. And when he, we would come over there each week, he would just sit down. This is how you carry yourself. And then we had Mr. Mike, who was a former, former military guy. And he would come around, he'd come around twice a week and do workouts with us on the front porch on the front porch. And then Mr. Joe would come around. Mr. Joe would tell us about the importance of giving rather than always trying to, to take and always trying to hoard, hoard, hoard money. Because remember, I had that love of money before. I needed that in my life. I needed structure in my life. And during that whole two years, you know, I, I didn't have a ride except for my bike. Um, I didn't have any phones. Um, wasn't allowed to date anybody. And it was hard. It was tough. It was difficult. Because at the age of 20 years old, when you ride up the street and cats see you like 6'3 on a bicycle with a hole in the seat of it, they laughing at you. And at that time, he says, you got to go get a job. I mean, before I got a job that paid, he says, you're going to volunteer. And I was like, what do you mean volunteer? Because you need to learn how to work. Remember those jobs at McDonald's and Burger King when I didn't know how to work? God provided a system around me with strong men to hold me up. They invited me to their homes and they showed me about their family. And I showed what it meant to live like a Christian man within family. You know, so it was good. And I was working as a janitor at this time. It's nothing wrong with janitors. Show props to all the janitors. But I remember mopping floors and, and, and cleaning toilets. And I remember people would walk by me and they would laugh. And I would just had to bite my tongue. But I was grateful, though. Because I remember there was a whole bunch of guys I was locked up with who wished they could be free mopping toilets and sweeping floors. God had fostered in me a heart of being grateful. And I'm thankful for that. Um, I think that's the reason I like my house so clean and right. I, every, first thing I do up in the morning after getting in the Word, man, I just like start cleaning stuff. And I, didn't later, I didn't realize until when I got in college that most people didn't know how to do that. But God used me being as a janitor and wanting how to be able to go to work at 5 in the morning. After getting to work at 5 in the morning, get off at 12. From there, grab your little sandwich bag with your little bologna and cheese, and then you go to the community college. I enrolled in school. I had dropped out of school. God was beginning to restore my life. I went to community college, got my GED, and I started taking classes. And you know, when we decide to live for Christ and when we really 
um, surrender to Christ, God starts to put things inside of us. Um, he's done that for you. He's given you certain things at your life, certain gifts that for some reason you just enjoy doing this and you're doing it well and it's not hard for you. And I started playing basketball when I was in prison. Um, and it, whoever knew that that plan on that, that gravel court in prison um, would eventually lead um, to what I'm doing today. And I did that for about a year and a half. And then I was playing church league ball. And um, I got an invite to go up to school and work out, you know, and brought me in the first time, uh, work out with the college team in, in Montreat. And my coach Robinson says, try it again a little bit later. So I came up a couple of weeks later and I came up. And he pulled me into the office. My pastor had brought me up, Pastor Logan. He had brought me up to the office again. He sat me down after we had played. And he, um, he says, man, I want to offer you a scholarship. I came to it. It wasn't crying, but it was a tear. And the reason it was a tear because, like, you're like, God, like, man, you're just giving me this chance, someone who dropped out of school, that you're going to give me a chance now to get my education in basketball provide for that. I'm grateful for that, man. And the reason I'm grateful for it, because I didn't deserve it. And I looked at my coach in his eye and I said, Coach, um, I got to tell you something before you offer me this scholarship. Like, I've been in prison. And he said, um, I already know that. And God's good. And he ain't good just because I got a scholarship. He was good before I got the scholarship, man. God was good when I was out on the street doing drugs. God was good when I was drunk and hungover, man. God was good when I had my mom crying, man. So it ain't God's good because I got the chance to play ball, man. God was good because he stayed with me regardless of how I acted, man. Romans 5, 8, Paul tells his believers in Romans, he says, while you were still tripping, God died for you, man. He died for me, man. That thing changed my life. I ain't cried in a minute. It's good to cry sometime, man. Montreat, those gates up there, man. God allowed me to have success in basketball. Who cares? A little ball. God allowed me to travel to 28 countries with that little ball, man. God gave me all those things because he says, Tim, man, this, this has been in you since day one, but you didn't recognize me. You didn't come to me. I could have given to you before then. And sometimes, man, we run from God when the thing he wants us to do is to run to him. And it got harder, man. Struggling with pornography in college. As a Christian, It wasn't that I was, I was sleeping around as a Christian, but it was that my heart wasn't right. And I looked good on the outside. Some of y'all, we look good on the outside, but sin is tearing us up on the inside. And sin was tearing me up on the inside. But God in his faithfulness, God in his faithfulness, man, he's, he still walked me through it. He put me beside strong brothers that would ask me, yo, Tim, what you watching on your computer? 
Tim, what you thinking about? And I'm thankful for that. Because even though I, that was something that I went through in my past, God still showed his grace and he surrounded me around believers that could walk with me and, and believers who kept it real, who said it wasn't going to be easy because you were Christian. And those things just wouldn't go away overnight because you were Christians. And I'm thankful for those brothers in my life. I'm thankful for those brothers and those Christians in my life that kept it real with me. That it wasn't always peaches and cream with them. I'm having a bad day. And they walked me through it. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful, man. And God is teaching me now. And, that, and during that time, he taught me. Because I realized something. When I started to stray away from the love of Christ, I started to stray away from God's people. Some people say, and I heard this a lot in school, and you guys probably hear it too, I don't need no church to be Christian. Yeah, you're right. But you're going to need some Christians in your life when you're going through. And I, and, I, and I look back in my life, all the times that I struggled in my faith is when I got away from God's people. More importantly, when I got away from the relationship, not the, the duties of being a Christian or the going to church, but when I got away from the relationship of Christ, those are the times when I strayed away. You know, Peter says, like the enemy is like, a, Satan is like a roaring lion. He says he, he, he sees the, who he can devour. And when I was in South Africa, we went on a safari, right, Jacob? And on a safari, it teaches about the lions and the big cats. And it says, the lion follows them from days at a time, waiting for that thing to get away from the group. As soon as it gets away from the group, guess what the lion does? Bye. It attacks. Some of the attacks in my life, even as a Christ follows, because I decided to get away from God's people. Some of you guys, you've been there. Some of you guys are here now. You're wondering, man, what good is it for me to keep being around those Christian folks? Why? Because that enemy is waiting for you to get unconnected, disconnected. He's waiting for you not to get connected. So that way, when he wants you, he's going to come and get you. And I strayed away from the faith. Talking about the same guy that did all that stuff that I talked about earlier for me, I strayed away. And it was because I strayed away from his word and I strayed away from his people. Later, started getting being promiscuous. This whole time, trying to find. I thought that if, if this girl right here could fix me, if I had this right here, then I would feel complete. Or I would feel better if I did this right here. And I lived that lifestyle for a while. And God convicted me. Tim, you're supposed to be representing me. And you out there living like that. But more so, Tim, you're not even close to me anymore. And my life paid for it. It was dry. God had called me. God had equipped me to, to tell his people about him. And I was choosing to take the lesser road right there. But I'm thankful that God's been faithful. My man, Marvin Sapp. You guys familiar with Marvin Sapp? He has a song that said, never would have made it. He says, I would have lost it all, but now I see that you was there for me. He says, I'm stronger. He says, I'm wiser. He says, I'm better. He says, I never would have made it without you. So as I'm sharing about my life and God's fingerprint and his hand on my life, remember, I never would have made it without him. Basketball allowed me to play in Europe. Lived over there. So how Christians rock in Europe. I'm thankful for that. Little did I know that God would use that basketball in prison to eventually lead me to playing church league basketball 
and eventually leading me getting this college scholarship, and eventually leading me playing in Europe, and then eventually leading me training training athletes. And remember, this is all because of Christ. And he opened those doors. For some reason, I had a desire to work with athletes. And the door opened opened up for me to get a coaching job in Tennessee. I was training full-time, just a personal trainer at that time. And I got the call about being a coach in Tennessee as an assistant. I was excited because I knew God wanted more for my life. So I drove up to Johnson City to Milligan College, my old coach, the one that I, who gave me the scholarship. He was in Milligan now. And he was there. He wanted me to come on staff. He brought me on staff there. Man, we had a stipend $1,500 for a whole season. Yeah, do the math on that one. <laughs> but God provided all my needs. I had to have money in the bank. Went through that whole savings account that first year as an assistant. Swoop, gone real quick. Was introduced to Visa. <laughs> It's a credit card. Some of y'all looking crazy. (laughs) And I blew that. And then after that first year, had some success there. But I felt the Holy Spirit. Y'all like, Tim, this is where I have you right now, but this ain't where I want you. And I got the call from China to go train athletes in China. But then a position that opened up at Montreat. So I was like, God, I'm going to rock with you no matter where I go. So which one do you want me to do? Woke up one morning and just made the decision. Go back to Montreal. <laughs> I was thankful for that decision because it eventually led me meeting the wifey. If I hadn't been in Montreal, um, wouldn't have met my wifey uh, a couple years after that. And the thing about my wife and I, um, and this, this is God's faithfulness. We didn't honor the Lord in our relationship. And my, of course, I've asked her if I can share this. We always do that before we talk publicly. We didn't honor the God in our relationship. This is as a Christian. We didn't honor the Lord in our relationship. But I'm so glad that God got my attention. And he says, Tim, now you're not only responsible for you, you're responsible for the other persons in your life. And he called me out on it. And the men, those men that I shared earlier, they called me out on it. Tim, why, why, why are you not honoring your sister in the Lord. It sounded a little bit different then because they said sister in the Lord. No longer she was just my girl or no longer was she just someone that we were seeing hooking up every now and then. That's your sister in the Lord. And he moved him in my heart. And he says, yo, like, you need to get that straight. So I went through all that whole spill and repented. See, all throughout there, I had to repent from things. That whole story, I had to repent from things. God showed me wrongs. God showed me sin. Now I have to deal with it. Some of us in this room right now, there are things we need to repent that God's brought to our attention. The longer we play with it, the more easy it's going to be to be burned. But we repented from it. I'm so thankful. I'm glad I called that girl my wife, you know. I had to put a ring on it, Hannah. But you know what that did when we don't live in sin? When I didn't live in sin, it created freedom. Now I can look her in the eye. Those same hands that we dishonored one another with, now we raise them together. Now we pray together with those hands. Now we hold Bible study with those hands. Now we pray for other people, other couples with those hands. God redeemed it. That's the gospel, that darkness was going on, but Christ brings in light. Our lives were changed. Tim, how can you be rocking my name and you're not rocking with me in this way right here? 
and he convicted me of it. I'm thankful that he did. Not only for me, but for my wifey too. So where am I now? That question, who am I? Nothing special, but I'm definitely a child of God. You know, I'm a child of God. Um, my identity is in Christ. It's not in who I coach. It's not in what my title is. It's not in the fact that I'm married. It's not in the fact that all those other things, all those accomplishments that I had, um, who I am in Christ, that's who I am. I'm a husband now, I'm thankful. I'm a coach, I get to influence the young lives of, of ladies now. I get to influence those lives for Christ now. I'm thankful that's who I am now. Those years, man, I spent a lot of years trying to figure out who I was and wasted a lot of time. But I'm thankful that I can say, who am I now? Man, I'm a child of God. I ain't perfect. Y'all already know that. So now, man, it's not, it's always happens when I be speaking, man. I, I get like index cards and all that stuff. And uh, who laughing? Who's that laughing? That's you? <laughs> I got index cards, man. This is one of the things that God has gifted me to do, to communicate. And God has taught me, man, sometimes as Christians, we learn how to play the role. We know how to say the right things. We know the right times to say the right things. We know how to act a certain way. And even as I was preparing for this, God reminded me, yo, Tim, like, the biggest part of your story is me, 2000. That's when I accepted Christ into my heart. That's the biggest part of that, the story today. Some of you guys are not there yet. Some of you guys are already there. Some of you guys, that was a minute ago, and you just forget about it. Um, but the reason he saved me, the reason he saved you, the reason he's done those things in our lives, so that when other people look at us, we can tell them about it. I think it's 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. It's up on the screen. If any man is, if, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old have passed away, and behold, the all, and behold, all has become new. I'm going to add one up here right now. 2 Corinthians 5, and it's going to be 20. I'm sorry, 17. 2 Corinthians 5 and um, 17. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jump down to number 20. It said he gave us the, the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God saved us, so what? Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God was making this appeal through us. Translation. Yo, I represent Christ. Why? Because God talks to people through my life. That's just an everyday translation right there. So when we come up here in this thing on 1030 on Sunday mornings, the whole purpose of this right here is that when people ask you why your life's a little bit different or how you have hope in the middle of darkness or how you're able to, to fight and struggle well through the things that you may face, is why? Because we represent Christ. We represent Christ as his ambassadors. That word ambassador is powerful, man. Probably, I think I've shared this before, but when I was in um, Moldova, Work with the ambassador over there, working with kids over there, and the U.S. ambassador. And that ambassador to Moldova, the U.S. ambassador to Moldova, he represents the president of this country. 
So the job of that ambassador is that when those people talk to him, it was as if they're talking to the president. He has an important role over there. So if he was to go out there and get lit one evening and end up on Instagram that next day, who would it affect? Who, who would look back? The country that he represents or the president that he represents. Christ says in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. It says, now, man, when you go out there to your job, when you go to your cookouts and your family reunions, when you go downtown on Friday nights in the Asheville, the Ville, the A, wherever you guys go in Charlotte, it says, when you go that place right there, now you're supposed to be representing Christ. I'll be the first one to say, I don't always represent, I don't always represent Christ well. Anybody can agree? Show of hands. Class participation. I can be to say, sometimes I don't represent Christ well to my wife at home. Husbands, can we agree? Show participation. Wives, sometimes I don't represent Christ to my husband well. Can we agree? Kids, sometimes I don't represent Christ to my brothers and sisters and parents. Raise your hand. Can we get? All right, everybody covered in here. We all covered. We're representatives of Christ if we name the names of Christ. So that's my story. That's who I am. Everybody in here got a story. Everyone. Some of your story is different than mine. It's okay. And for a long time, Joanne, I used to be afraid of my, I was afraid and scared and ashamed of my story, Josh. I would think, man, if people knew my story, what would they think about me? And for a long time, I didn't share it. Christ didn't save us to sit back on our stories. Say that again. Christ didn't save you to sit back on your story. Yo, this is some good news we got right here. Who am I to be afraid of what God has done in my life? Who? What gives me the audacity to think that I shouldn't tell people how God has worked in my life? Who do I think I am that I will be afraid of that? Such prideful thinking. Or when we share our stories, we put the emphasis on us. Who am I to take glory for what Christ's done in my life? What prideful thinking. So I challenge you guys, and you women, you women and you men and you kids, sit down every now and then and write your story out. Ask yourself, man, when did Christ change my heart? When did he, start, when did he begin changing my life? How would I communicate this to someone who approaches me? How would I communicate it to that coworker who's going through a tough time right now? I challenge you guys that because if we don't do that, if I don't do that, what good are we? Like for real. Name of our church is Reach Life. How are we going to reach life sitting back? And I don't do it in talking down to you. It's more of a conversation with you. Man, like, what has God done in my life? And am I able to articulate that to someone else who may be lost? So I thank you guys for listening. Just my story. You won't be able to relate to all of us, but you pick and choose. And you ask yourself, because we're about to transition to a time where now um, it's going to go from my story to about your story. We're going to transition into a time now where we got to do something what we just heard. You know, the Bible talks, it says, don't be only a hearer of God's word, but doers of God's word. That's what the Bible says. And that hits everyone in your seat. So the person in your seat right now, 
I would challenge you. God, what do you want to speak to me? Or what did you speak to me through Tim's story and how you worked in his life? Pastor James is going to come up. I think Kevin's going to come up. Pastor James is going to come up first and then Kev's going to come up. But as he plays this song, I think it's, what you got, Kev? Yeah, my man, Zach, he says, no longer a slave to sin. But what's the answer? Say again. Yeah, no longer slaves. And it talks about no longer slaves to sin. I asked him to play that to be a reminder for us. Um, no longer slaves to sin. I'm glad I'm, I'm free. And God's given me a joy in my heart and a love for people. He's given me a purpose in my heart. And I'm thankful for that. You know, so um, thank you again for listening to my story. I look forward to listening to, well, actually, I'm going to be gone next weekend. But online, I look forward to listening to the stories. And again, tell somebody your story, yo. Don't be scared. Tell somebody your story. God can handle all that. <laughs>